Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about Venus moving into the first decan of Pisces. So this is an exciting time for Venus as she is moving into her exaltation in Pisces, a place where she is an honored guest. She'll also be uh, receiving some dignity as the triplicity ruler of the water signs by day, and will be moving through her own bound or term in the first 10 to 12 degrees of Pisces here. So uh, Venus is the bound ruler from zero to 12 degrees of Pisces. So a very dignified Venus as we are looking at a time frame between February the 25th and March the 5th. Uh, we're going to unpack some of the fixed star placements that Venus is going to be conjoining. Uh, three degrees of Pisces, we'll see her making a contact with Sadal Milik. Um, we're going to look at Fomahalt at four degrees of Pisces, and then Deneb El DJ at five degrees Pisces. We do have one uh, aspect that Venus is going to be making throughout this period of time, a sextile with Uranus. So we'll break down all of the significations of Venus in Pisces. One, uh, we will talk a little bit about the I Ching. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the 1986 fantasy classic, The Labyrinth, because a lot of the themes in that movie come to mind when we are discussing Venus in Pisces 1. And we'll see how that goes today. Um, I wanted to say before we get started here, I wanted to say thank you to Astrology Victoria, an astrology group that uh, hosted me this past weekend as I gave the talk an introduction to fixed stars. So I've decided to make that talk available on my YouTube channel. So take a look in the description for a link to that video. We had a really nice chat. Um, we learned a lot about the fixed stars and we had a really nice Q&A at the end of the talk and uh, did some really cool philosophical musings. There were some great questions that were asked. And uh, yeah, check that out. See what, see what you think. And um, maybe that'll help begin your journey to working with the fixed stars. I know that I'm enjoying my journey learning. Uh, there's, there's much to learn with fixed stars and, and their uh, return to prominence in the astrological zeitgeist and in our astrological toolboxes. So um, that will be available for you to watch. All right, so let's get to it. Let's see what we've got. Hope that you're all doing well out there, uh, out there in virtual land. Uh, remember, I am planning on doing uh, a live stream for the full moon. I think that will be Friday, probably somewhere around one o'clock. Uh, I wanted to wait till the moon actually got into the sign of Virgo. So I want to give you a heads up on that, but I will be making an announcement for that as we get closer to the time frame. All right, so we're looking at the chart of Venus ingressing into Pisces 1. This is of course, the domicile of Jupiter, and Jupiter is moving through Aquarius. So we've got Jupiter in Aquarius 2, uh, associated with the uh, Six of Swords. And this decan is associated with the, the Eight of Cups. So we're going to try to blend some of the themes together with the Eight of Cups and the Six of Swords. The Six of Swords, we see a figure that is leaving something behind. Like it's, uh, there's a, a few figures that are being um, ferried across a river. Uh, they're moving from one reality to another. And 
we're seeing communication between the the known world and the unknown. Okay, so this kind of interaction between worlds. And in the eight of uh, cups, we see a figure that is leaving behind these eight stacked cups and going off into the wilderness, into the labyrinth, as Austin Kopic likes to call this Deccan. Uh, we have uh, Saturn and Jupiter as the face rulers. I think there is some confusion in this Deccan because of its association with Saturn as a face ruler. We may be feeling a little bit of discontentment and we have to uh, come to terms with that discontentment of the material world to go off in search of uh, some higher purpose, some higher meaning, uh, to, to reconnect um, with our spirit and with our soul. Uh, Book T calls this decade abandoned success. Uh, Toth calls it uh, indolence, right? So we have to be a little bit careful of, um, you know, getting a little bit uh, disillusioned by the material reality to the point where we aren't interacting with it anymore. This is a a decan associated with leaving the world and going off into our imagination. Uh, the daimon associated with this decan was called Okeanos. Um, that was a, a deity associated with the cosmic ocean uh, that was able to give birth to many rivers and, and maybe many different stars. So this is kind of a primordial ocean where we're giving birth to things. And in my video uh, about Pisces 1 and the sun in Pisces 1, I talked about Jupiter as the demiurge. And that is something that we should think about as well. But with Venus moving through this area of the zodiac, this is a place that Venus enjoys being, right? This is a place where she is able to appreciate the beauty of creation, the beauty of being able to bring things into existence from this cosmic ocean, right? Remember Aphrodite, emerged from the the ocean herself as like this beautiful phosphorescent being that was glowing so brightly that she was adorned by the charities and given all these beautiful clothes and all these beautiful jewelry, uh, this beautiful jewels and jewelry and adornments. So th this may be where we're getting enamored with kind of creation itself uh, around this uh, period of time. And um, we have to be careful too, that we're not just getting uh, blinded by the beautiful illusions as well. Um, Venus is going to be co-present with the sun and Neptune. So we may be uh, drawn into this kind of siren song kind of experience. And again, in Greek mythology, uh, we can get pulled off course when we experience, um, you know, falling prey to that beautiful song that, that takes us away from our sense of purpose as well. So we have to, to be careful of that. Venus will be making a sextile to Mars in Taurus, as well as Uranus in Taurus, um, and then sextiling uh, Pluto in Capricorn. Now, these are whole sign aspects. We're not going to get to a perfection of these, um, these aspects. At the very end of Venus's journey through Pisces 1, we will see a square to a newly ingressed Mars in Gemini. All right. Um, not exactly by degree, but again, by whole sign. So that's something to consider as well. We'll have a, an explosion of options potentially uh, with, with Mars moving into Gemini. All right. So let's take a look at our kind of experience here. I did want to uh, 
talk a little bit more about the movie The Labyrinth. One of the things that we can finish up our exploration of the condition of Venus is that Venus will be under the sun's beams um, while it is very close to the sun. So you can see here that Venus starts off within seven degrees of the sun. And anytime a planet is within 15 degrees of the sun, it's said to be under the sun's beams or it's hidden from view. We can't see Venus in the sky because it is rising with the sun and, and as the sun is blocking out uh, the light from Venus right now. So there may be some Venusian things going on behind the scenes. Now there is this condition in traditional astrology called, uh, a, called being in the chariot. So a planet being in the chariot gets some protection from the sun's beams. Um, when a planet was under the beams of the sun, that was said to be sort of a position of being damaged uh, by the sun's beams. It was one thing to be, uh, you know, in the court of the king, but you didn't want to get too close to the king. They thought of the sun as the king in, in some forms of traditional astrology because you could get burnt by his anger. But I did want to read you a quote from uh, Rhetorius. This is Rhetorius the Egyptian. This is a, uh, a traditional source text. And he talks about the chariot on page 25. He says, the planets are in their own chariots when they are found in their own domicile or exaltation or terms. And they rejoice in these places, even when they are found under the sun's beams. For the benefics increase their good and the malefics are changed into a good influence. Of course, the benefic planets being Jupiter and Venus and the malefic planets being Mars and Saturn. So we might even be increasing the good of Venus uh, with her being in the, it, her chariot. Chariots in ancient uh, times were these kind of like vehicles, right, that had these hoods that, that shaded the rider from the, the harshness of the sun. So Venus could be considered to be in, a, in a, a position where she is shielded from the damage the sun could be doing because she is in her exaltation. So that is something to unpack, and that's really interesting as well. Um, all right, so we've got a, a, a lot of dignity for Venus. Uh, things like glamour, adornment, purification, another signification of, of Venus, harmonization, bringing things together that were separated uh, is very much supported when Venus is moving into this domicile. Um, we may be drawing upon some of that Jupiterian hope, optimism, being able to bring order and confirmation to things. Uh, Jupiter is trying to be a bridge between worlds, uh, that demiurge that we were talking about. Now, when we get to our, our uh, theme of the day, the labyrinth, again, there was a, a movie uh, by uh, Jim Henson was the creator of this movie, a really a brilliant genius, a puppetry genius Jim Henson was. And if you're not familiar with this movie, you should go check it out. Watch it. That's your homework for this Venus period of time. Go watch The Labyrinth. It starred David Bowie and a very uh, young Jennifer Connelly. In the story of a young uh, teenage woman who was babysitting her, her uh, half-brother, stepbrother, half-brother, one of the two. And uh, she was getting so frustrated and discontented with this task, uh, much like our Saturnian face here that she made a wish to the Goblin King and his name was Jareth. And Jareth in all his glory as a mid eighties, David Bowie with his, you know, big hairspray, Tina Turner hair and his spandex and his 
his very prominent cod piece <laughs> like appears with all this makeup and you know and all of his uh david bowie-ness and all his charisma um offers her uh, a choice right of being able to whisk away this this screaming child in a in a in a great thunderstorm and uh you know, he offers to, to make her dreams come true in the form. He comes to her in the form of an owl and whisks away the, the screaming child. And um, this brings a sense of relief at first, but then a sense of terror because she had the task of taking care of this child. And uh, there is this offer that Jareth makes because she realizes the mistake that she has made, that she has to solve this very ornate labyrinth, right? She has to find him and her brother at a certain uh, by a certain period of time or he becomes one of them um and there is some very interesting allegorical allegorical um themes i think we can think of uh this as maybe the transition from youth into adulthood and maybe a loss of innocence um, and trying to maintain our integrity while we go through this journey, right? Integrity was one of the themes that came up in the I Ching. That was the hexagram that I got was number 15, integrity, humility, moderation. And uh, we have some of these really interesting uh, scenes with um, Sarah and Jareth. One of them is this grand masquerade ball um, where, uh, and I think this one really I, we could think of a number of different planets uh, moving through the first decan of of Pisces as uh, different parts of the theme of of uh, Pisces one and the labyrinth. But I think with with Venus in Pisces one, I, I'm I'm reminded of that scene where where she's in this beautiful dress and is is at this masquerade ball with these uh, all these figures with goblin masks and. Uh, you know, David Bowie is is um, wandering through, and they're trying to find one another. They're trying to come together. And David Bowie's got this. You know, you hear this slinky bass line coming along, and you know you hear him in his 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 uh, deep voice, and he's like, "You're such a sad love." It's my my horrible, but I uh, <laughs> at David Bowie, and he's like, "Deep in your eyes, it's such a pale you." Open and closed within your eyes, I'll place the sky within your eyes. And he's got these wonderful pauses, right? And he goes on to say, he says, There's such a food heart beating so fast, it's such a new dreams. A love within last within your heart. I'll place the moon within your heart. All right, so there's my David Bowie impression. <laughs> like, so there's some interesting lyrics in that, though, because he's, we're, we're going uh, in search of new dreams, right? Um, a love that will last within your heart. And I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of exploration where, um, you know, we're going off on this journey. We're going off on this pilgrimage. I talked about in my uh, Son in Pisces 1 video about some of the Thema Mundi's association with the sign of Pisces and with it kind of having some correlation with the ninth house in astrology, where we're going off on a pilgrimage in search of meaning so we can take action out in the world, right? And David Boy says in the chorus, it says, as the pain sweeps through, 
It makes no sense for you. Every thrill is gone. Wasn't too much fun at all. But I'll be there for you as the world falls down, right? So we do see this shattering of our potential, this shattering of our illusion of reality as we go off and search for meaning, right? We go off in search of something greater than we had experienced. That's what we see in this eight of cups type of card, okay? And the shattering of illusion, the discontent can really be associated with that Saturn part of this face. Now, the rest of Pisces is, is interesting. It has Jupiter and Mars ruled faces, but here we, we, the, we ha we're motivated by that discontent. We can think of this as maybe the first act of Labyrinth, right? Where the, the young uh, protagonist is very discontented by the responsibility that she finds uh, herself in, right? With, that she has to take care of this screaming child. And she's trying to figure out um, what's her new place? How can she maintain this, this innocence and this loss of innocence, right? This is, there's themes of loss of innocence. And she wants to grow up. She wants to leave this, uh, this screaming child behind. Um, but she realizes that it's a part of her, right? And I wanted to read you a quote from 36 Faces by Austin Coppock, because I think it really reflects these themes quite well. He says on page 245 in his chapter on the labyrinth, he says, the discovery of the labyrinth also brings with it the question of its maker, initiating a confrontation with the demiurgos of the reality structure in question. On a personal level, it is the discovery of our unconscious, and the maker we find is none other than ourselves. Yet other mazes exist beyond the psychological, nestled concentrically like Russian dolls. The structure of one's fate might also be discerned here. It's shaped the work of a sadistic drama urge, okay? What, what, what some might call our true will. The successful confrontation with the demonized demiurgos that leads us to an internalization of its power. In discovering that which, in discovering that it was none other than a portion of ourselves which erected this reality, we gain the power to build as we see fit with the materials we have assembled. The maze is ours to recreate, our soul, the architect. Yet sometimes the torturous labyrinth holds within it its secret, a heart of within its secret heart, a wisdom we did not expect. Its being is no abomination, but exactly as it should be. The realization transforms the structure itself from a prison to a palace. Liberation is achieved here through insight alone. Okay, that's pretty cool. So he's talking about the realization that this reality, some of it, we've be, we are kind of the creators. And we can look at that uh, movie, The Labyrinth, we could think of Jareth as, you know, maybe that confrontation with a demiurge, with a part of ourself, with a part of our consciousness that is creating, uh, you know, this very elaborate reality, but also these, these mazes for us to traverse through, through consciousness itself being this maze that we're trying to find our way through. And when we find some of the truths that we may be creating some of these pathways, um, we, we are able to escape from it, and we're able to kind of shatter that illusion like 
uh, Sarah was able to when she realized that something was wrong at this masquerade ball. And after she has shattered the illusion, she falls into this giant garbage pit, right? You know, where we are back to the, to the trash of reality. Or, or maybe we fall, fall into uh, the, the, the junkyard of our minds where we get trapped in fear. So even that was a, a place that could be escaped from. And she escapes back into her, her room at one point or maybe a section of her consciousness that is represented by that, that innocence, right? So I think what we're really trying to say is that uh, when we are able to find, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's almost like a Neo kind of experience. When we realize that we're in the matrix, we can somehow become more of a master of it. And we'll see that as we move through the decans of Pisces. I think as we move forward through Pisces, we see the journey of, of realizing the power that we have to be uh, great creators. And this is something with, with like Venus in particular. Venus is also uh, a creative impulse. It's, it's being able to create art. So if we're able to draw upon the very far corners of our imaginations to create something that reflects our truth, that can bring us a lot of joy and a lot of um, purification as well. A lot of times we see great art that comes from going off on a pilgrimage into our imaginations. I mean, look at Jim Henson. He, he was a world creator, right? He was a demiurge of the, uh, of the film world. You know, he created worlds that, that didn't exist uh, through the, the corners of his mind and through his puppetry and through, uh, you know, his inspiration from different, you know, I don't know, different hermetic ph philosophical journeys through uh, different literature and different other inspirations. He really was one of the, the, the world creators in Hollywood. And, and you know, it, it's um, another one I'm thinking of might be a person like Miyazaki. Right. And, and the Studio Ghibli films where they're really just creating these these otherworldly type of experiences. All right. So that's kind of my, uh, uh, you know, exploration of the movie The Labyrinth. Again, that's your homework. Go watch that movie. It's fun. It's a little there's parts of it that are a little frightening. Uh, this was kind of a hallmark of Jim Henson films. If you are a, a child like me who grew up with these films and that uh, and films like The Dark Crystal, uh, there was this mystery, this beauty, but also this like, oh, there's some scary stuff in here too. But uh, I think that kids in general, uh, they don't necessarily want things to be completely purified or, or whitewashed or anything like that. A little bit of danger, a little bit of the darkness is, is true, is real. And um, I think we realize as, as children that we are faced with this scary adult world sometimes and just denying it altogether uh isn't that's not fun uh acknowledging some of this kind of uh darkness as well as the the magical experience of of innocence and balancing those two things out that's when we found uh, real joy i think as as kids and and we can retain that as we move into adulthood and into our elder years all right, so let's talk just a little bit very quickly about some of these fixed stars. Uh, I went over them somewhat in the uh, last video, but I did want to just show you on the star chart what we're looking at here. Here is Venus, and you can see Venus 
uh, if I go forward throughout the days, Venus is going to be moving through that first. This is now this is Venus moving in uh, secondary motion, right? Throughout over the course of many days, we're going to see it moving um, counterclockwise, coming into a conjunction with the sun eventually, you know, around March 25th or so. So that's our Kazemi moment with Venus. So right now, Venus is going into the heart of the sun, and she has some protection while she's in Pisces. So this is a great time to get in touch with what we really love, what, what really inspires us, what makes us feel a sense of appreciation for the creation of, of the world and of, of beauty. And we see here that in this area of the tropical zodiac, we have the constellation Aquarius, and the fixed star Sadel Sud and Sadel Milik, which were kind of twin stars in the shoulders of Aquarius. And these were very lucky fixed stars. They were associated with purification, with, um, in this case, the right shoulder of Aquarius, with making our own luck, uh, falling in love with life with Venus, right? Appreciating beauty. Um, this was the lucky one of the king, whereas uh, Sadel Sud was the luckiest of the lucky. So, Again, we, we're seeing some very nice fixed stars in this area of the zodiac. Um, if we move forward a little bit to uh, the 28th, for, I guess, we'll, we'll just actually, before we move on to that, we are experiencing on the 27th a full moon in Pisces. So Venus will be conjoining this very lucky fixed star, Sadal Milik, at the full moon on the 27th. And again, I'll go into that more in depth on Friday, perhaps Saturday, but probably Friday afternoon. Um, and we'll talk about bringing the vision into material form. So that's really what we're thinking about when we're doing the opposition between the sun in Pisces 1 and the moon in Virgo 1, figuring out what is really possible. What are the possibilities with um, our vision and how can we bring it into form? Because there are limitations in physical reality. Our imaginations are somewhat limitless and we have to figure out um, what we are going to be able to manifest on this material plane and what we have to accept that is um, not possible, okay? Um, so we're getting in touch and trying to balance out those two kinds of experiences. And how do we labor to bring that vision into physical reality? What labors do we, and what skills do we have to, to use to bring them into this physical reality to create that beautiful vision here on earth? All right. So if we move forward just a few days, we're going to see between the 28th and the March 1st, uh, the sun is going to be conjoining the fixed star Fomahal. And Fomahal is here in the, the mouth of the southern fish. So this is not the fish that we associate with the sign of Pisces. We can see those here. This is um, uh, Pisces uh, australis, which roughly uh, translates exactly to the southern fish. And so we see the waters of Aquarius pouring into the mouth of this fish, receiving all of this purification, all of this divine wisdom, all of this sweet water, we could say. This is not uh, ocean water, salty water. This is the purified water that spills out of the urn of Ganymedes or the cupbearer, okay? So we've, we've been receiving this purified wisdom. 
And one of the things that we think about from the transition with Aquarius to Pisces is in Aquarius, we had to decide all of the things that we were not. Okay. So we, we are thinking about our limitations and what do we reject in those Saturn ruled signs. And now we're trying to bring things back together. We've rejected what is not us. And now we are thinking about what, what really brings us meaning, what really brings us joy, what really is the true expression of the soul if we have rejected what our soul is not, with what is not in alignment with our truth and with our higher self. So here we've got that purified water. Fomahal was a, one of the royal fixed stars of Persia that marked out the ancient winter solstice around 3000 BC. It was a you know, when the two zodiacs were aligned, Pisces and, uh, I'm sorry, the Aquarius and Fomahal, tropical Aquarius and the this sidereal constellation, right, were in alignment with one another. This was the watcher of the north. This was a, the, a very, this was probably the brightest fixed star in this area of the, of the sky that was said to be a protector. Uh, it had a nemesis, though. The nemesis uh, was using our charisma for selfish means rather than uh, for the good of our communities. This is something that Bernadette Brady talks about in her fixed star books. So how can you use your artistic sensibility, your ability to, to uh, gain a following and use it in service of your community rather, in, rather than for self-glorification? This could be easy to do with Venus conjoining the star because you know, we may want to glamorize the self, but we have to resist the urge to just take on adornments so that we could, you know, bring our vision to, to the masses that needs uh, what we have to offer, all right? If we are in service of our higher self and in service of spirit, we can make these small offerings. They don't have to be these grandiose gestures. We'll see this in our, uh, in our hexagram. They just are uh, these very humble things that are true to, to our true self. Okay. Okay. And when we move forward from the first to the second, okay, right around this area in the third, we're going to be seeing uh, a projected ecliptical degree conjunction with Deneb or Deneb El DJ. Ah, DJ. I think that's how you say it, which is in the constellation of Cygnus, the, the swan, right? And Bernadette Brody talks about the shaman's journey. Uh, she talks about uh, an appreciation of, of the poetic uh, with Venus making some kind of contact with this fixed star. Um, we may need to have a purification through our faith. Swans are interesting because they go through a transformation. And they may, you know, in the, 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 the fairy tale of the ugly duckling, the swan is... Uh, out of place, right? She she is in a um, a, a clutch of ducks, and they look a certain way, and she looks like a, a duck that is out of place. And we may have to go through this journey of faith um, and venture into the unknown uh, and go into our maturity to come into our maturity. And in the swan's case, she becomes this beautiful, uh, purified white bird. Um, so I think it is a surrendering quality that we could see sur uh, surrounding this fixed star. There is also some territorialism associated with swans. They're, they care for their young with a, fierce, a fierceness. And um, 
So we have to be careful that in our journey, in our journey into the unknown, in our journey into our shamanic uh, depths of our consciousness, that we don't make the mistake of, of identifying uh, with that as something that is ours and ours alone. I think a lot of the time, some of this wisdom comes from the divine and the demiurge itself. And if we start to identify that wisdom with, with ourselves and our own ego, I think we can run into some, some issues. Um, we, are all, we are mere channels for this wisdom. And uh, this is something that I think about a lot with, um, you know, being able to learn from other teachers and their, their work. And um, I always try to give credit to, to people where credit is due. I don't think of myself as the, uh, the source of this necessarily. I try to become a channel for these things to flow through. And um, yeah, that is, that is something that you wrestle with, I think, with um, doing this type of work is it's very easy to get feedback and, and want our egos to be caressed and to stro be stroking the ego. And that's where, we, that's where the spiritual practice comes in is we have to really um, constantly be aware that that is a pitfall that we could fall into with this work. Um, I, I think too, like this is one of the reasons that I like to give away so much of my material. Uh, I just want it to get to the most amount of people possible. Um, I'm a real firm believer in things like creative commons and, and uh, that if I allow this wisdom to flow through me, that there will be a return you know, of energy and of spirit. I know a, a, there's been a lot of talks about what information do you put behind a paywall and all of these things. And, you know, my, my thoughts on that right now, I, I take donations. So I guess if you're, if you want to, to support the work that I do, if you got something out of my fixed star talk or these talks that I do, uh, you know, make a little donation. It doesn't have to be a big thing. I've been kicking around, uh, putting up this link to something called buy me a coffee. I haven't done it yet, but I will maybe eventually. But there's a PayPal me account if you're so inclined, and you know, you know, buy buy me a coffee. Think about us having a conversation uh, at a coffee shop, and it doesn't have to be this big grandiose gesture. It could be a few bucks, you know. It's like a virtual tip jar. But my thought is this: and even if you don't have anything to give, just your presence here is is something that you can give, like hitting the like button, giving a a a comment in the comment section. Those are things that the interaction is is important to me and i want that to be available to the most amount of people possible um so that that's why i'm doing it the way that i'm doing it i've i've, I've thought a lot about things like patreon things like membership services all of these things and it just doesn't resonate with me um i want you to have this information because i feel like this information came to me from an unlimited source and if I can be a channel for unlimited source, that, that means that that source can return to me in an unlimited way. So I know that that's not going to resonate with everyone. There's all sorts of different business models out there. And there are certain things that I will charge money for, like a reading or like a class where, uh, you know, if we are interacting on, and I'm putting more of my time out there, that is what is called a rival risk good, where, uh, you know, if more people are participating, then it, the quality 
Uh, it doesn't mean the quality goes down. It just means that there is less to go around. Whereas like with a video like this or with my webinar, the more people that view it, that doesn't uh, lessen the value of it. That doesn't cost me anything to have you view this video. The more people that view it, it could actually increase in its value. And there's a movie that I've been talking about with some of my friends that I watched when I was really into this as a musician and creative commons. It's called uh, Rip, a, a remix, a, ran a manifesto. And it's on YouTube. And it's about this, uh, this um, DJ called Girl Talk who would remix little pieces of things, sort of tapping into the, the collective unconscious and, and you know the unlimitedness of creation and remixing it into something new. And um, I think that's what we're doing here in these talks is taking these little bit, bits and pieces here and there, giving credit where credit is due and, and creating something new from our own consciousness. That's what we're doing as translators of astrology. We are creating with our own daimonic consciousness to become interpreters of these symbols. And yes, we may be drawing on similar themes and similar, similar stories, but there is a bit of my own uh, uh, daimonic genius, you could call it, infused within it. And that's true for any of you that are doing astrology out there. You know what? If you're enjoying my videos, take the information that you learn here, infuse your own daimonic consciousness and share it with the world. I mean, that's how we create lineage within astrology. Uh, and going back to the, the territorialism of the swan, when we get caught up in this, um, you know, territorialism of, of our uh, intellectual property, this is something I really have a lot of distaste for, you know, intellectual property. Um, it doesn't mean you go steal something word for word that we don't want to plagiarize each other. There were some things in the community that come up when we, you know, just blatantly steal someone's work without even crediting them. That's not what I'm talking about here. But, you know, being able to be inspired by something and then add your own uh, spin on something, I think that that's just the way that culture works. That's the way that we share um, inspiration with one another. So over the next few days and weeks, um, I think it's okay for you to share your gifts without worrying um, exactly how it's going to come back to you. You know, just share the beauty of your creation. And trust me, it will come back to you multiplied. If it, if it is offered with, um, with sincerity, with integrity, there's no limit to how that can come back to you. That's having faith. That's the faith of the swan, is that by offering yourself, that the universe will find ways to provide for you. And every time that I have released my clutch on something and offered myself freely, it has come back to me tenfold. And I don't do it so that it comes back to me tenfold, but that's just my been my experience. So that's one thing that I think is important to kind of uh, think about as we move forward through this area. Now, I did want to show you the hexagram that I received and bring this to a conclusion. So I will draw this here. So we got the hexagram number 15. So I do a little reading with the I Ching. And uh, we have six lines that are either broken or unbroken lines. And uh, sometimes they are changing lines. 
and sometimes they are solid and unchanging. And here we had two, un two changing lines. And we have the hexagram 15, which has to do with our integrity and our humility. And it's moving to hexagram 55, which is called abundance, right? It's called abundance. We could also call it the zenith or fullness. So here we are trying to maintain our integrity. And Hillary Barrett, one of the translators I like, I'll always talk about her questions. She says, what is the simple reality? How might you return to a state of balance? What if it didn't all depend on you? Okay, that's interesting. And she talks a lot about integrity as a return to equilibrium. Uh, and we, we see in a number of these translations, uh, she says that integrity creates success. A noble one, or a noble one completes it. Uh, and we talk about the mountain or being in the center of the mountain. So we're reducing excess, right? We're reducing excess when we're trying to come into equilibrium and we're increasing what is scarce. So that's how we come into balance. So there may be some things in life that you have to increase. There may be some things that you have to let go of. Um, it says also in the first changing line, a humble heart cultivates humility. Uh, carry out endeavors quietly without obvious announcements of your intentions. Okay, so modesty, um, modesty helps us to avoid, or being modest, modest can help us avoid resistance or people challenging us, right? If we're just going from a true heart, if we're only offering that which we feel comfortable offering and not trying to go beyond our, our current knowledge base, um, then it, we're really beyond reproach. I took this approach with my fixed star talk. I'm not uh, a 100% expert master of fixed stars, but I gave my offering from the research that and the place that I'm of understanding that I had. And I brought up uh, different ways of um, experiencing the fixed stars. I, I brought up different ways of approaching them. I brought up questions that people have and how they approach their methodology. I didn't necessarily say that I had the answer. And I think that that's tr me trying to live within my integrity is saying that here's, uh, uh, you know, different ways people approach it. Here's the level of understanding that I have come to. And you can expand on that in your own research. And I think that's the, the way that we have to do astrology. I think instead of getting really fixated on our own method, uh, and this is especially true for the universal love and universal acceptance that I think that an exalted Venus in Pisces can lead to is that, uh, and I talked about this in my talk, there are many different ways to experience the world. Um, if we think that a, an all-powerful omnipotent God or deity is limited by the way that they can express, then I don't think we have a true understanding of, of omniscience yet. Uh, there's some you know, metaphors and stories out in various mythologies that talk about uh, these different mystics touching an elephant. And one of them is touching the trunk and they say, it's like a snake. You know, creation is like a snake. The other is touching the, the leg and said, oh, it's like this great stable tree. And they're not, they're both not wrong. They're both touching the same elephant. We're both trying to touch some kind of essence. And I think we can tune in to different frequencies. We can tune into different, even technical methods to, to hear an oracular speaking. 
That's the key. If we are hearing some kind of um, truth through whatever method we choose, then I think it has value. And um, that doesn't mean we just go off willy-nilly and try to pretend that we know what we're talking about all the time. But um, I do think that your intention matters. And even if you're a beginner, you can come to oracular truths. Even if you have very basic understanding of some of these things, what Jeffrey Cornelius says is that even beginning astrologers, even beginning diviners can touch on truth. Uh, I think that by studying technique, we tend to refine our communication skills. That's why I continue to study technique is because it helps me communicate things in, in ways that maybe my clients or my audience will be able to receive. And by, by understanding multiple different ways, uh, I will be able to deliver the message in multiple ways so that more people can receive the message. So there is another changing line. It says, nothing that does not bear fruit, display integrity, continue to consistently cultivate your humility and equilibrium. If you do this in your character uh, and you're in your sense of responsibility towards your society, uh, nothing that will not further, right? So it's, that's basically about being true to yourself and even the smallest actions will resonate. That's what I was talking about with that. And with abundance, again, uh, this 55 hexagram is when we are true to ourselves, we will be offered uh, a, a plethora of options to be able to express ourselves on this material plane and to, to um, take on new responsibilities. This, this hexagram was talking about uh, a, a ruler receiving an omen of like a, an eclipse, and it was a sign that it was time for him to get down to business and take action. So we, we may feel like there, it's a, we're moving towards a time where we really have to make a choice. Uh, Hillary Barrett says, what are you called on to do? Um, what decisions must you make now? So we're experiencing a, a peak point. We'll, we'll probably be brought to a peak where we have, re, we have resources. We are abundant with our knowledge, with our faith, but we also will be receiving choices and tasks and demands because of our ability to get in touch with with our true self. So it's just time to commit to your chosen path. You know, uh, I think that's just the key. And you take it one day at a time. You only are, I think that um, I do like the thought that you're only presented with that, what you are capable of dealing with. I know that may not always be true. I think sometimes we feel like we are suffering with and getting overwhelmed, but I think it's in those very moments are the moments of surrender. Those are the moments where we say, I, I just, you know, I'm giving up the wheel and I'm letting the spirit steer. And if we're able to do that, then there's nothing that, that we cannot handle, right? Because we're co-piloting, right? We're like, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're like uh, canines. Dog is my co-pilot, right? <laughs> so we're allowing to co-create with the divine. It's not that we're just the, the only source, but we are co-creators through our demonic consciousness, through our intuition, um, and, and surrendering sometimes. That's something I've had difficulty with at various points in my life is surrendering to the process, but it's something hopefully that I'm, I'm learning to do more with time. All right, everyone. I hope that that was useful for you. That's what I've got for today. Um, please enjoy your journey with David Bowie and his spandex 
<laughs> if you are take on my homework assignment, um, be kind to one another. If you are enjoying the work that I do, you can show your support by liking the video, by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to the channel. Like I said, if you want to make a material donation to what I do, there's a few links below. Uh, you know, uh, that, that is really helpful. Every little bit counts. And, and I really appreciate all the support that I've gotten so far and all of the folks that donated with my talk uh, for Astrology Victoria as well. I, I really appreciate you. So thank you. You're helping me to, to do the work that I'm doing by buying me the gift of time. I think that if I were to change my thing here, it would be buy me uh, an hour to read. It wouldn't be buy me a coffee. It would be buy me some time uh, so that I can uh, you know, pay my bills and not have to worry about that. And I could uh, get in touch with the divine. Buy me some oracular uh, divination space, right? So uh, thank you for, for that. And um, yeah, uh, keep an eye out for the full moon live stream. That went really well the last time, and I'm hoping to do that again, I think probably Friday afternoon. So I will announce that on my social medias, but I hope to see all of you there. And uh, as always, be kind to one another and be kind to yourself. I'll, I'll see you the next time. Peace.